This time on Matters, I talk about a process group. I pout about a city. I find out that I'm the anti-Haley. All this and more on this exciting episode of Matters. His name is Matt. His name is Matt. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Welcome to Matters, where two guys named Matt talk about what matters to you. I am Matt Noss. With me is Matt Rose. How you doing, Matty? I'm fine. How are you, Matt? I'm doing all right. I'm very excited today. Uh, we have a longtime friend of mine joining us in the Matters studio. Uh, I have known our guest since 2009. Yeah, 2009. Wow. Uh, she is... An improviser. She is a stand-up comedian. She is, or comedian, as it's actually said, comedian. She is a practitioner of yoga. She is the light in the world. And you can listen to her podcast, The Z Haley Show, wherever you find your podcast, or just go to zhaley.com to find out where she's playing near you. Please welcome to the show, Haley Z. It's me. Hello, friends. I ditched your last name, which is Zurich, if I'm yeah. correct, yeah, but I went with correct. Z. Uh, just out of fear in that moment. Gonna, no, I'm gonna, don't be afraid. I'm going to own it that I went with Haley Z, but I do know how to say your last name. I re- totally respect that, and I actually appreciate it because nothing in my life ever gets abbreviated. Mo- <laughs> like I've never been like Hail or like right. Z or Z or anything do, like that. Do people go by Hail? Some people do, but like that. What? I envy sometimes a Matthew because you guys instantly become Matt. Or Not in some guy. in some cases, Hugh. Um, <laughs> but like those Haley, people are monsters, though. <laughs> <laughs> like those tofers. Anyway. Oh God! <laughs> oh, they go by tof. But like nothing in my name has ever been abbreviated. In fact, most people they just don't refer to me as anything. They're just like, excuse me. <laughs> like, with hand me. with hand stretched out, like, hey, person, <laughs> come here, occupying space. Uh-huh. I need you. Yeah. Wow. So that was that feels really nice. Thank you. You're welcome. Your well, intro was lovely. Oh, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It has been too long that we haven't had you on. Mm. That's what I was saying when you walked in. I was like, I can't believe we haven't had you on yet. And you were so nice to have me on your show. Yeah, that was such a treat. To this day, you told a story about your dad. Um Oh yeah. Up the log. And occasionally I will listen to just that section of the episode because it still makes me laugh. Was you, was this when your dad was working on the house and the beam came down? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you make this noise, and I'm sure that when you've performed it like infinite amount of times, you've created this thing. But it felt so like pure and distinctly <laughs> oh, like undoubtedly unique. whatever the noise is, his dad made it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just like puts it back up. And Matt Noss, to date, you are one of seven people who I can think of something that you've said or done and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> like, just audibly laughing at my desk. Oh. Mm-hmm. What, is it that or is it something no, else? Uh, there's two things that you have made me laugh about. Um, I can't remember the first one offhand, but I know that there has been another time that you've made me laugh. And also, occasionally, I'll sing Mr. Miyagi. Ah, <laughs> the classics. It's so good. It's a good one. I'm proud of myself. It's the best song I've ever written. It may be the best song I will ever write, <laughs> considering I haven't written a song in a long time. Yeah. Um, Char- Charles Mansion. Charles Mansion's pretty good, though. You haven't heard of Charles no. Mansion yet. So I've created a SoundCloud rapper named Charles Mansion. 
keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, well let's uh, let's ask a couple questions, yeah. and then uh, I will uh, spring Charles Mansion on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I, I actually have a couple things to say because I have known Matt since she's nineteen ninety. Oh yeah. Um, I, I couldn't remember if it was eighty nine or ninety. Uh, mm-hmm. So a while, and I have so many things <laughs> to. Make me laugh when I'm sitting at my desk and I am furiously angry, you know, with rage boiling over. It'll be like, just think of the time when you were in high school and Matt was riding in that trunk and your car, the car you were in rammed him and the trunk popped up and Matt's head popped out and everyone in the car freaked the fuck out. True story. True Absolutely story. 100% true story. Um, yeah, Matt and I were... Like hitching a ride back with people that I knew, sort mm-hmm. of, um, but there wasn't enough room in one car or the other, so they were like, "Well, shit, dude, we we have room in the trunk, and like we're only going a mile, so deal with it." And Matt was like, "Oh yeah, no problem, dude." He gets in the trunk, and I was in the back seat in between a bunch of other dudes, and we're driving. <laughs> <laughs> And the the car, oh God, the car that I was in, I don't think they knew that Matt was in the trunk. And before I could say don't. <laughs> oh my God. Oh God. Just Matt's head popping out and looking back <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're going to get us all killed. <laughs> My I mean, mom is like, already going to be so upset I'm in this trunk. Oh. I mean, at least you weren't like resting your head on the back, just like taking a snooze. True. Yeah. But but still, that was that was strange. And the kids that gave us a ride home, I was already a little iffy on. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember that because we would never normally get a ride. Oh, yeah. We, we normally either were able to get to school ourselves or had somebody that would typically drive us home. But this was a special day. It was. Yeah. A, it was a special day. All right. So this is uh, the first song that I created for my SoundCloud rapper, Char- Charles Mansion. Charles Mansion. <laughs> Max right on the beat. 2018. Roach Coach 100. Exclusive. Charles Mansion. This is me, this is how I know. Yep, okay. Cause I'm running fast and my pockets full. You should let me free, I ain't letting go. Cause I'm Charles Mansion, this is how I roll. You can mess with me, this is how I know. Cause I'm running fast and my pockets full. You should let me free, I ain't letting go. Yeah. Alright, here we go. I take a girl to the club. Go on and go for your pee. I drag her into the club. They wanna check my ID. They bounce me out of the club. Girl not show me any love. Says Charles, man. You know that you ain't the one. You can't mess with me, this is how I know. Cause I'm running fast in my pockets. So that's Charles Mansion. I just wanna let you know in my mind. I know that you're an adult man that sang that song, but in my mind, it wasn't a person. It was like a pug. Okay. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of like 
living his best life. At the end of the song, I admit that I'm 15 years old. That's uh, that's the conceit of Charles Manson is that he's a 15 year old SoundCloud rapper. I so love it. in my head, you look it, Charles Manson looks like what Garrett Mueller looked like when he was 14. <laughs> just a cheese, just stash. a cheese dash, like just made of arms and legs <laughs> and a cheese stash. By the way, if Garrett's listening, love you, but. You know what you look like. You know what you look like. <laughs> we all remember. Oh, oh, I remember what I looked like at 14. Trust me. No. I I make fun of myself when I'm not on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Haley, um, I have to ask you yeah. because there's a few things when I think of you mm-hmm. that come to mind that hit me like a bolt in the blue. Number one, you're a dynamic positive force. Thank you. Like, I don't know how else to say that. <laughs> but no, you're like a very upfront positive person Mm -hmm. not and not and knowing you and then have known you for a long time it i have seen you go through ups and downs Mm -hmm. but you have always been much more of a cup full person like hey okay i know that sucks i know that's bullshit i know that's not ideal i know that that isn't what i would ideally want Mm -hmm. to have happened in that situation yeah at the same time I'm going to take the highest road I can on this so I can put that as far away from me as I yeah, possibly yeah, yeah. can. What is, how did you get there? What is that about? Talk to me yeah. a little bit about that. So actually, that's a really great thing because when I was thinking about coming on the show, this is one of the things I wanted to try to figure out a way to talk about um, because it's actually one of my favorite things about myself. Uh, this will come in the, in the packaging of a story. Yesterday, I went to the post office and... I'm not going to say which post office, but there's this particular post office and there's a worker there for some reason has decided she doesn't like me. And that's <laughs> fine. Every time I go there to, re- to send out a package, I will be in line. I won't even be in front of her and she will just call out to me that there's something wrong with my package and she's not going to be able to help me. Like, like from the jump. From the jump. I'm fourth in line. <laughs> <laughs> like, not even in front of her. Hey, you. There's duct tape on that. You can't send that through the mail. Go away. Like, parentheses, go away. Okay? So, like, that that ha- that has happened to me four different times now with this same woman, which is why I come to the conclusion that there's something about me that she has decided she doesn't like and doesn't want to help me. And that's fine. Or is it that you keep using duct tape? No. Well, then, okay. <laughs> the thing is, is sometimes it's duct tape. Sometimes it's handwriting. Sometimes it's whatever. Like there's just every single time that there's a different reason. You can't handwrite on a package bullshit. Apparently. Bullshit. Apparently. But okay. So here's the T. So like she says that to me and I just go, okay, I'll just go somewhere else. And I take my package and I was on the phone with my sister, and she's like, what's going on? I was like, I can't get help here. I have to go to a different place. And I went to a different place, and I sent my package out. And my sister wanted to do this thing that I think people try to do to comfort one another, which is like, what a fucking bitch. Like, classic. Classic. Like, she's a Fuck bitch. Fuck them. Easy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's just not my perspective of people. Like, I just think about, like, that's her workplace, and, like, she has to go there for an amount of time every week. I can go to a plethora of places to send things and if she doesn't want to help me like that's a choice that she's making for her life she doesn't know me and frankly i can't take any of that personally because what someone else thinks of me doesn't belong to me it belongs to them 
And I was trying to explain it to my sister that like I wasn't really interested in saying mean things about this person because one, I don't know her. I don't know what her life is. And I don't want to be responsible for conjuring negative energy and directing it towards someone that I don't know because that just is so counterproductive and counterintuitive to who I am as a person. Because I genuinely believe that everyone is worthy of love and dignity and kindness. Even if I don't agree with you on a, a myriad of topics, like I just really believe that. And it goes back to uh, the kind of childhood I had where uh, my mom let me watch Gandhi and then read the autobiography about him when I was in kindergarten. And I felt very, I had this calling where I just kind of like saw Gandhi and then by proxy paid attention to people who were inspired by him, Martin mm-hmm. Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And, and others, um, and sort of listened to what they had to say about their experience about humanity and the world. And uh, I had a, a very clear awareness that, um, one, we all belong to each other. And it's our responsibility to take care of one another. And and that's true. Two, we create the energy that exists in the universe. So when you put out anger and frustration and hate, that negativity becomes a part of the universe. Like you generated it and it's there. And when you choose opposite feelings, patience, kindness, love, like that is a part of the universe. And even in first grade, even... As a very young person, I just always knew that I got to make a conscious choice about what I was producing and who I am. And I have had very brutal things happen to me in my life, but I have always overcome them by being, by choosing positive, by choosing light, I guess. Does it sound like I grew up watching a lot of Oprah? <laughs> no, I, no, no. I was just, I was. I was going to make a joke as soon as you started talking. What's it like sitting across the table from the opposite of yourself? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but then you started like getting deeper in it. I was like, well, no, I can't make the joke. You could do anything. <laughs> you, you could make the joke. <laughs> make the joke. What was the joke? No, that was it. Cute. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> <laughs> Mwah, that was delicious. I'll eat that <laughs> up. But I, I, when I hear that, there is like I don't realize how cynical I can be mm-hmm. until I start to hear something and I go, "Wait a minute, what are you doing, man?" <laughs> because it is authentically you. Like that is you. And I hear that and I go, "Wow, I I don't do that. I know I don't do that. I don't do it the what you do." I do something different. Matt definitely does something different as he would make that joke to be like, hey, hey, it's the opposite of you. But like you explaining that gives me so much more insight into you that I don't think I've ever had before. And it makes me kind of go like, oh, because I don't think I, I definitely didn't grow up in the house of energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not um, Bob Rose is, is not a positivity um, type of person, uh, but you know that's not to say that my dad's a bad guy or anything. Just wait, I'm sorry. Is on, la- my dad's name is Bob Rose. And is your last name Rose? Yeah. 
Oh my God, that's why you're a garden of light. I love it. <laughs> I do have a garden. There it is. Um, But so I, I wanted to clarify that like I wasn't making fun of, of no. your positivity. That's just something that I'm not really hardwired for. Yeah. And like I, I know this might come as a surprise to Matt. I try to do it. Yeah. And then it's just... It would be like if you tried to make a cake and the cake exploded in the in the in the oven and it's like no salvage in that cake. No sal- yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna keep it at five hundred until it all burns to dust. <laughs> and then you made then you made fairy dust. Good for you. I can't stop being who I am. Sorry. No, I and I think this sort of um suspicion about who I am has always existed. Right. I, I was always very confident in who I, who I am. Right. Like I've always been like, oh, I really like myself. I may not like things about me. Like I, I'm not going to pretend that I've walked around thinking like everything is wonderful about me. I love myself. Like there are some very deep verbally abusive thoughts that I've experienced about myself in terms of like my body or the way I talk or even choices that I've made or wishing that I could be different. That's real. Like, I'm not above that. You're also but, a human being, though. And thank human, you. Every, every human being does that at some point. Yeah. Maybe not Tom Hanks, but, like, every every human but, being. Yeah. And even, because, like, I'm sure Tom Hanks has. But uh, that being said, uh, I've always dealt with people who are like, is that really who you are? Like, I don't really believe that's how you are. Like, I think that you're seek- like a lot of people think that I'm pushing like an agenda. Like I'm trying to get in good and then I'm going to backstab everyone. Um, like what's your end game? What's your goal? Yeah. With what's this? your angle? And like, that's the thing is I, I, as I'm saying this out loud, the truth is like, I don't really want anything from anybody because everything that I really want, I know comes from me. You know what I mean? Like, that's great insight. You know what I mean? If you think about it, like, okay, um, uh, an example that I might use is like, okay, I really want um, stage time at a certain place. Right. And I might know people who can get me stage time or who like seem to be get getting stage time. If I go and I like emotionally suck their dick for a while, I can probably get something out of that. Something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you could very well get nothing out of it. But the reality is, is like it didn't come from my own effort. So it's not going to have the same value. So if I really want that, it's not about like playing the game. It's about earning it for yourself and through yourself, if that makes sense. So I like I never want anything from anybody other than for them to be themselves and for them to like give me the space to do the same thing. Yeah, that's I'm going to digest that for a second Mm because I'm I'm thinking I don't know if Maddie has anything. Um, Well, what you were what you were just saying kind of reminded me of things that i i try to tell some of my students so matt teaches judo yeah i teach oh that's awesome um and there are you can definitely watch the pecking order um in practice with a lot of the students because some of the students obviously are kids that do not fit in well at school and Mm -hmm. some are for lack of a better term the alpha male prick and the ones that don't fit in well often try too hard mm-hmm. to get people to like them. 
and I just want to pull them to the side and be like, "Look, dude, <laughs> you need to you need to to cool your jets a bit. Don't worry about getting other people to like you. Just worry about liking yourself." Right. And you know, you might have to be by yourself for a while, but eventually you will find people to hang out with that don't give a fuck. You know, it's 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 you know, hard to tell kids, especially kids who are like eight or nine years old, like, hey, slow your roll. Stop stop trying to be what other people are aiming for. That's not you. Right. Just, You're enough. Yeah. Just but that's do a your hard own thing. That is a very hard concept to for me to get that you're enough and I know it and I've heard mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and I've done my best when I've lived that and then there's the other part where it isn't presented like it, you're enough yeah you know like there's the rest of my life that is goals and you've got to do this and you have to do this and you have to which takes me out of me and puts me over into this other place of trying to match up trying to meet up trying to make sure i make whatever it is that i think i should be doing happening yeah uh so oh god so i'm about to say something that's gonna sound really wild but just like stick with me for this little rant we're on the ride here we go so i did a ted talk and i use this analogy because it really it stood out to me because uh The messaging makes a lot of sense. So Yoda's big quote, there is no try, only do. Mm -hmm. So many people hear that and they think, I get it. I'm just going to do it and it's going to be perfect. And like, I'm going to be the king of my universe. And the reality is, is like, that's not really what the message is. And we have so many sources through media, through through social media, through people in general that sort of propagate the myth of instant perfection or of aiming for perfection. And the reality is, is like attempt is success. Attempt is victory. Attempt is the life force. And that's what you're trying to tap into. Like the messaging of like you're is enough. You are enough. Sometimes I get really frustrated when I see that sort of message appear on social media because oftentimes there's like a very idealized looking woman in our media culture, very tall, very lean. uh, Hourglass shape. Hourglass shape, like perfectly thin, but with like great huge tits and great (laughs) ass. And she's got perfect Jessica Simpson teeth. Symmetrical as hell. (laughs) And like she's in the middle of like a beautiful sunset sunset on a beach and like the words like you are enough like are put over her and what it presents to you is this image that not only are you enough but you're also the ideal and like that's a struggle point i think we have because enough is not saying perfection enough is not saying that you have actualized to a place where there's nowhere else to progress if you're alive there's work to do mm-hmm. There's always going to be work to do. Uh, And that's not a a deficit. That's not a failure. That's not you being lesser. That's just the reality of how life works. And so what's difficult when we message to each other, like, you're enough, it has to remind the person, like, here's the tea. Everyone listening, Matt's included, like, 
you're a profound and divine source of power in the universe. It is so mathematically incredible that you fucking made it here. Like it statistically is like impossible that you hear, yet here you are. So anything that you have to offer today, whether it's the most ideal offering that you have or like the biggest piece of shit ever, it's enough. It's enough. And you have to not take it personally. A lot of my power that I see that I have now in my confidence and my self-awareness came from deep pain and rejection and tremendous failure uh, and abuse in a lot of ways. Um, I have dyslexia and my dad didn't really understand what that meant in terms of my ability to process information. And when I was in second grade, that's when like spelling bees started. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the cycle for me throughout the school year would be this. Uh, my dad would come home about 5.30. We would have dinner shortly thereafter. And then about 6.30, we would come to the kitchen table. And uh, we would have my spelling list. And then my dad would put together 25 math problems because those were two opportunity points that I had. And I wasn't allowed to leave that table until I had gotten an 80 or better on the spelling test and I had gotten an 80 or better for the math problems. And that would manifest in five to six nights a week for for about four hours of me just sitting at a table in a, a state of distress Ugh. because I couldn't do it. Like mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't do it. And uh, it was incredibly painful and incredibly hard. And I had to do a lot of self-reflection. I had to, one, process what I know to be true about myself. I got a lot of feedback from my father and then also from my peer groups about my intellect and my intelligence and how I was stupid Mm -hmm. and I wasn't smart. And I had to process that and be like, okay, is that true? Like I'm six years old, like in bed, tears streaming down my face, like just like letting the sweat, like the stress <laughs> sweat, like dry on my skin and just be like, okay, is it true that you're stupid? That can't be true. Like you're smart enough to ask that question. Right. <laughs> like I don't know many six year olds who <laughs> right? would even fathom to guess that. Yeah. A lot would just be like, guess I'm a dummy. <laughs> and so like. <laughs> oh boy. Well, where's the paste? Because I am starving. Let's get working. So like. Uh, I had to look at it, like look at my opportunities and I didn't call them opportunities. And that's, that, that's decades of, of study and, and evolution to get to that vocabulary. But like I was presented with really brutal experiences where I got to, again, like I said, make a choice. Do I believe what I was told that I, f- that felt bad enough that it felt like a lie? You know what I mean? Like when my dad said I was stupid, it made me feel bad. But it wasn't just because I felt bad that he was calling me stupid, but also like, I think he just lied to me, dad, because I I can't imagine that I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really challenging because when we then turn to a world where it's like, you're enough, you're a star, like you're all these things, like 
I don't want to be a star. I don't want to be the next Oprah Winfrey. I don't want to be the next Carol Burnett. I want to be Haley fucking Zurich. Like that's who I am. And that's enough. So even if I can't spell whatever stupid word, I don't even know my times tables. But like, thank God, phones became calculators. And I can just <laughs> handle that shit. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that like, even though I can't do those things, even though the do doesn't happen, I can still try. Mm-hmm. I could feel, and I think that's the, one of the big important things. I'm sorry for going on no, this rant. Is, I'll be no, done. This is why you're on the show, Haley. <laughs> oh, Otherwise, Matt and I would be talking about, I don't know, like comic books or video games or something. Oh, we so. can talk about comic books and video games in a second. Um, but I just think that uh, we don't teach people how to fail. So that yeah. right there, my brother and I, we've, we've had a tenuous relationship mm-hmm. and we are on a major upswing. And ever since we've had Rosemary, it's been even better because he, my brother kind of goes, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to have kids. Um, so I'm probably going to talk to you a little bit about having this baby. <laughs> uh, but it's been really nice. But he just recently retired from the fire department. So he was a Detroit fireman for 23. 23- Two twenty-three years. When so this did, is when, news to Matt. When did he retire? He just retired, like, yeah, like mid end of July. End of July, he retired. Yeah, so he retired, and uh, we were talking about it because it's one of those things where he goes, um, "When we grew up, that was the job. My dad was a fireman. My uncle was a fireman." My cousin became a fireman for a short period of time. Short period of time. Short period of time. (laughs) But we were a fire family. But, I mean, my uncle, pipe fitter, union. Mm -hmm. Uh, My cousin, who was a firefighter, joined a union. He joined a union. My my cousin's an insulator. All of my family is trades, hard trades. And it was very much presented like, you do this job, they'll take care of you for the rest of your life, and you don't have to do anything else. And then the city went bankrupt. He's a Detroit firefighter. And it changed the whole contract and everything for him. So everything that he accepted to be true changed. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, well, if that's the new truth, then I don't owe you another moment of my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't. That's awesome. Like, I don't owe you that. Does he draw a pension after 20 years? Yes, he draws oh, a pension. Nice. He goes to me, he's like, so I made the decision that the that the Detroit Fire Department is going to pay me a million dollars over the course of my lifetime <laughs> in pension. <laughs> and, he, and he may or may not do it, and that's not here or nowhere there, but he was like, I think I could make more money and do something I like better out of there. Yeah. Well, this well. is perfect, because this is the second thing that I wanted to talk about in this show, and that's Fear. Fear is something that lives inside of all of us. And fear, this is a truth, loves you more than anything in the entire universe. Fear loves you so much, it doesn't want anything to happen to you, good or bad. And I love that your brother was in a 22, 23-year-long relationship with fear. This is what I know. This is what I know to be true. Right. And any outside... But at the same time, doing something that most people are terrified of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But it's the known, right? And I think so many people, they... It's... Okay, it's like when you know somebody who they're not in love with their partner. They Mm -hmm. haven't been in love Mm -hmm. in a long time, but like 
that's the person they know. Like this mm-hmm. is the person that I know and they would rather stay in a relationship that they're not fulfilled with because fear is like, well, we're ca- our stuff's here. <laughs> like we're, this is, this is fine. And I, but I know that fear that's, yeah. you know, Matt and I have talked about it in, in previous roles and my, in my work. I yeah. mean, I have absolutely had that where I was like, if I were to lose this job, I don't know what I do. I have uttered those words. Yeah. But, and, and here's the thing. Okay. So here's the best part of my life. Can I tell you it for real? <laughs> sure. The best part of my life is that every single thing I've ever been scared of has happened to me. Like, actually, that's not true. I haven't been buried alive. But the point is, is like, <laughs> let's see if we can skip that one. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying that, like, being bullied and hated by people, check. <laughs> Being physically, verbally, sexually abused, check. Being homeless, check. Uh, Being laid off, check. Like every single thing that I like as a person was like, well, I hope that never happens to me because I don't know what I would do has happened. And God damn it, I'm still here. And like that's that's the thing that like fear won't let you remember. Like the reality is, is yep, if you make a choice, to do something different or if a choice happens around you and now your circumstance is different, that's when you get to choose. Do you panic and give into like the fear downward spiral where you start thinking about your limitations, uh, the, the possibility for failure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you start to choose my favorite choice, which is to remain calm? Like there's so much in our lives that stir anxiety and stress inside of us, if we choose to remain calm for at least 10 minutes, chemically, our body will stop producing the anxiety endorphins and we're able to make logical, clear decisions. Because that's the thing you're afraid of. You're afraid that your job will disappear and suddenly all reality will dissipate. And the reality is, is you're Matt motherfucking Nas. You have more connections in more communities than I can think of. And if you really, really, really needed just a job to get you by while you figure it out, that shit would manifest like that because you've put in a lifetime of work building relationships, building integrity for yourself, and building a reality that shows you as a valuable human being. That's real. So, okay, you're right. What would happen to me if this job went away? Mm-hmm. It would be this is what would happen. It'd be stressful and uncomfortable for a little while, and then it would be fine. Right, <laughs> exactly. That is the truth. Well, I can remember when I was unemployed last year. You told me that I was living one of your greatest fears. Yeah, like my father-in-law uh, went through a similar situation, and then you went through it, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know. And it's you. Number one, just thank you, thank you. Of course. I have to be able to make sure I accept a compliment. You did great. Thanks. Um, and yeah, I, it is that thing of sometimes I, I, I get in grooves just like anybody, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm like, this is this is our plan. Yeah. This is what we're doing. <laughs> I, I, there was one more thought that I had from my conversation with my brother. Uh, my brother's name is Doug, but I call him Dougie. And uh, he goes, some of the best advice that I got at the fire department was you got to do to fuck up. Yeah. And he was like, uh, he had felt up until that point because uh, 
in our house, I was allowed to do whatever, and Dougie was absolutely not allowed to do whatever because mm. my dad played with like, two di- different rule sets, mm-hmm. which was not fair. <laughs> so, yeah. um, my brother, when he finally got there and he heard that, he was like, "Oh, cool! I yeah. finally get to make mistakes without getting my head caved in." Yeah, you know, because I don't think you're right. We don't, we don't train. We don't teach people how to fail well. Right. Because we treat failure, because we value victory, right. we value the triumph, we right. value the win. Right. Without necessarily, like the hero's journey is you fail at the beginning and then we win. Not we fail and we yeah, fail I mean, more and then we kind of get yeah. what we want. It's, the Lord of the Rings would be a pamphlet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about uh, Beyonce's. Uh, digital drop. Oh, Lemonade? Not Lemonade. The one that came before that. Uh, I think it was her self-titled album. Yes, it was. Because the it one with Drunken Love on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just Beyonce. The track... Uh, I am try- I can hear the song in my head uh, about girls. Not who, not, not who run the not world. Not who run girls. the world. Uh, it's about uh, feminism. And it's like... Uh, I wish I had a device that I could look yeah. up. Oh, God, what is that? But anyway, in the song, in <coughs> on the track, like when it's not, a, well, when it's a music video, there's an excerpt from when the her one of her first girl bands, Girl Time, was on uh, that show with the white guy with really white hair and really tan skin, and they went up against a death metal band. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? There was like that show, Star Search. Star Search. That's what it was. And Oh, you meant Ed McMahon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and um, during the episode of Star Search, Girls Time lost to this death metal band who I, so insignificant, I couldn't even tell you what it's called now. And I love that like at the beginning, um, it's Bow Down Bitches. All right. Uh, that's the track. And it's the first like piece that plays before the track. And then at the end of it, they play like, anchor, uh, it's Girls Time versus Death Metal Band. Death Metal Band wins again. Sorry, Girls Time. And I love that. You know why? Because Beyonce did not wake up as Beyonce at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. She failed a fuck ton. A fuck ton to get to the place. And even now she still fails. Mm -hmm. Like she still struggles. No one is perfect. No one is having a perfect time. No. So like, yeah, we don't teach people that like consequence is a part of life. And it doesn't mean that you are bad and that you will be punished forever. You know what I'm saying? Right. We don't teach that you can win the wrong way. Right. Right. Yeah, that's. Two, I have two different um, things to, to comment on that. One, I try to teach my students cause and effect because people don't understand cause and effect mm-hmm. anymore. And it's vitally important that people understand it, mm-hmm. but so many people don't pay attention to it. <laughs> and judo is all about cause and effect of if you push, someone pulls. If you pull, someone pushes. If you step over here... And you leave your foot out. Guess what? Someone's going to take your foot. 
Right. You've and, given them leverage. Yeah. yeah. And so I keep trying to tell them, like, well, how do you keep getting me? You keep sticking your foot out. That's how I keep getting you. Stop doing that and it'll stop happening. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, how did you get me that time? You just did what I told you not to do. <laughs> um, and, you know, that goes for not just judo, but, you know, a, a lot of things of a, a woman got let go the other day at work and she wasn't really doing her job. Mm-hmm. And she would she would talk to everybody about how she didn't want to do her job. And it's like. <laughs> cause that, that can be arranged <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. but yeah. hey that i think that's great because what she was doing consciously or not because like we all do that mm, a lot of people do that like oh god it's monday kid don't want to go to my job and they like sort of talk talk that talk mm-hmm. and like what you say is what your reality becomes right like the words i agree with that the words you choose shape your experience of the world right mm-hmm. i i really infinitely believe that she kept showing up and saying i don't want to be here and that's the truth she mm-hmm. didn't, she didn't want to be there and yes she got let go and that's uncomfortable right now mm-hmm. for her right that's put stress on the animal and its environment and she has three choices now move adapt or die now mm-hmm. death does not mean die like Literally, death can mean maybe she stops working in that line of work. Mm-hmm. Maybe she decides that Michigan isn't the place for her and she moves somewhere else. Or that means that she... <laughs> She's on an H-1B, so... <laughs> what, so what's an H-1B? Uh, she, is, she has three months to find a job or she gets deported. So, so And that's life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the thing is I feel like we have trained people to believe that like consequences are a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And like... Mm. Consequences like are things that happen in the aftermath of an action. And they may not be what you want right away, but they can help you have the the life that you want. Mm-hmm. I th- um consequences I, don't have to be bad. Consequences are reactions to an action. Exactly. I think about uh I had this memory of being a little kid at um, I think it was like a science fair day or something at my school and my dad took me uh, and I was sitting next to him and like there was a bunch of different activities throughout the school but in the gymnasium there was like a, a science magician mm-hmm. and I was six and I started feeling feelings that weren't connected specifically to this event but they were instigated by this event which was every time I raised my hand the science magician picked a different kid and chemically, I was feeling all of the rejection I felt from my peers and from other circumstances where it just, I never seemed to fit in. And that's really what I emo- emotionally I was processing. But it manifested because of that. So I start crying. And I, I'm six, so my ability to control my emotions is limited. And so it's mm-hmm. like that red-faced, big <laughs> tears. Yeah. And the science magis- magician uh, sees me. And in an attempt to right the circumstance, because he sees this and thinks it's a reflection of individually his actions, so he's trying to right it. He picks me Mm -hmm. as a consequence to my actions. 
And I hated being up there at that point because I had tears on my face and I was embarrassed because mm-hmm. I didn't really deserve to be up there. Mm-hmm. Right? I felt like I had rigged the game because I had cried to get what I want. I didn't like that. That was the consequence of like my actions. Uh, so I got what I wanted, but it didn't feel like how I thought it would feel. Does that make well, sense? It does, but you can also flip that around and say that the consequence of the guy not choosing you right. was the same thing. Because he had he had the ability to choose you, mm-hmm. and you could have gone up there and not had the reaction of him making a child cry. Yeah. But he didn't. And that's what happened. He did not pick you, even though every single time you raised your hand. Yep. And I know he saw you, and that caused you, a child, to cry. And now the consequence is he caused a child to cry. What's he going to do? Right. And he so he chose to make a choice to fix it. Mm-hmm. I, of course, performed for Haywell because I'm very good on stage. And he had, <laughs> probably had no idea that like I was processing all those feelings. But I can, as an adult, I love looking back on that and being like, cool, you had this great opportunity to really sit in your feelings and like figure out what you were really thinking and feeling. And you got what you wanted and it didn't feel good. And that was something that I also learned. Like there have been things that I've wanted in my life to work out. And I think I've I shared with you, like I there was a time in my life where one of my my top goals was being on the resident cast at Go Comedy Improv Theater. I wanted that more than I wanted fucking world peace. There I said it. I really, I really did. And I did everything that I thought I could do in my power to make that happen. And I'll be honest, it broke my heart when it didn't. But frankly, what, eight years later, I'm so grateful that it didn't work out because... I wouldn't be where I am now if I wasn't put in the position to process that experience for what it was. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have done it any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the other thing that I that I had aside from the cause and effect with my students, people who think that success just magically happens with the snap of a finger mm-hmm. oh, have never been programmers. Girl. <laughs> if... If you write perfect code immediately the first time, congratulations, you're a fucking unicorn. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many times I have sat there ready to pull what little hair I have left out (laughs) because something doesn't work and I'll sit there and I'm like choking the air because somehow that's going to figure the answer out. Do you know when I figured it out? When I'm taking a shower. When you're not thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. It's insight. You gain insight from your brain working while you're not. You're not. But wait, that's exactly my point. If you can get calm, when you can get calm, you can answer anything. Mm-hmm. I said, well, and that's why you that's why you get up and you take a walk. That's why exactly. you get away from your desk yes. or you get away from the situation that is causing your anxiety. Well, I'd love to say that you you, you know, and I stole it from somebody, but it's like you gotta move to think. Yes. Sometimes just moving away from your desk, away from the computer, the way from the thing that constricts you because you are, you're all hunched over. It's a very like an unnatural position to be in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I take a lot of walks at work. I think a lot oh, of yeah. people are like, me too. what are you doing? I'm like, I got to move to think like there yeah. isn't a part of me. I wish you would just be like plotting. <laughs> plotting. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. We, 
we had to take active shooter training. Oh, Saying plotting is is nope. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, scheming maybe, but plotting probably not. <laughs> <laughs> scheming. Semantics. Uh, looking for a vantage point. <laughs> <laughs> for the next meeting. You'll Look at this, guys. Relax. You'll be fine, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going? You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> HR is at my desk. Like, uh, hey, Matt, what are you up to? Oh, oh, and I can I can attest to the fact that having security and HR come to your desk is not funny. Oh, that is never a good thing. No. I've seen that go sideways. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, especially when like you're totally calm. And it's like, what's... Oh, okay. All right. Oh, boy. Bye, everybody. <laughs> oh, I know what this is. What this is. See you, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to wrap up this section uh, as, as clean, cleanly as we can. I want to make sure that we finish your thoughts on fear, unless you think that you have. Uh, fear is a powerful tool for your instincts. So listen to it when you're in a parking garage and you feel uncomfortable and you and you need to protect yourself. But don't let fear cripple you from chasing your passions or chasing a path that you you might feel like is silly or stupid and just keep going. So I think that I have a way to maybe differentiate the two and that one is a social fear mm-hmm. and one is an evolutionary fear. Yes, 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 yes. Because yes, 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 if, yes, yes, yes. you know, if you hear like noises in the woods when you're mm-hmm. camping, well, chances are maybe you should be a little afraid or and alert. maybe you should do something to remedy that fear. Yeah, Start yeah. a fire. If you have a gun, load your gun. If you have a social fear though of if I ask her, she might say no. Well, so here's the thing. If you never ask someone out, you can't get a yes either. Right. If you never do something or if you never try to do something, you can't possibly succeed. You might fail. And that is a necessary part of life. I fail like no less than 50 times a day, but I also succeed at a bunch of things. And I would not be where I am now in my career or life if I did not constantly fucking fail. Right. But I am at a really good position at a good company and two, like, geez, a year and a half ago, I got let go by a company that made me feel like I was completely incompetent at my job mm. and I deserved to be fired and all these other things. And it was really hard for me to find a job for three and a half months because I didn't think I could succeed. Mm-hmm. I got a job and I was really nervous and I just didn't know how I was going to continue doing this job. I was thinking about what other careers I could do because this just couldn't be what I was supposed to do. I I wasn't having a good time doing it. I know that you can't always have a good time doing your job, right? It's a job. But... I just felt like this was no longer what I could do and I had to find a new career. And the the job that I had was a consultant. Living a consultant's life is a fairly high pressure thing. You're you're working long hours, you're doing whatever the client wants when they want it and getting it done in less time than is required. 
I then just, I never stopped taking recruiters calls, Mm -hmm. not necessarily because I was looking for another job, but just they have a job too, (laughs) recruiting. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell them no and I'll tell them thanks, but I, I have a job. This one recruiter called and they were like, hey, we see that you do this. We have a company that is hiring direct hire. And so my contract was up with this company and they were just hiring me to do other roles. Mm -hmm. They said they were going to make me direct hire, but then they never offered me a direct hire position. And I, I, you know, I I didn't want to say I could see the writing on the wall, but like I could see the writing under the paint that was chipping (laughs) off. So I said all dead in here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So when I got this call that was like, hey, so and such and such a company, which was a company I'd heard of, big company, um, is looking for someone with your exact skill set. Will you take a phone call? You know, I was a consultant. I worked from home. Yeah, I'll take a phone call. Mm -hmm. And I had a quick call with them and they're like, yeah, we want to bring you in. I met with them and what was supposed to be like a half an hour, hour long interview was like two and a half hours. That's awesome. And by the time I made it to lunch, they made the offer and I immediately accepted. And now I feel how I used to years ago about my role in a company, which is I am actually good at my job and I'm doing things that are not currently being done by other developers. One, because other developers don't necessarily need to do the things I'm doing. But when I Google a particular thing, no fucking results. I am the only person doing this shit. And I think what's what I love about that for you is that ultimately what you have learned is that you have an irrefutable value. And that sort of comes back to sort of what I was talking about at the beginning where like everything about me that I know to be true lives inside of me. Everything that I need to know about me lives inside of me. And you don't need an external force to validate that. Mm -hmm. We all end up in relationships with jobs, with people, with places where we turn and we take the most precious, delicate parts of ourselves our intellect, our personality, our talents, and we hold them to these places, to these beings, to these people, and say, love this. And everyone else is doing the same thing, and no one else is ever going to turn to you and say, oh my God, that's fucking perfect. In the same way, with the same impact, as when you're like, holy shit, I'm the only person who knows how to do this thing. This is my irrefutable, unique value. And you're the only one that can give that to yourself. Mm-hmm. It feels nice when you find the job that matches your skill sets and pays you at your value. It mm-hmm. feels incredible when you meet a human being who looks at you and says, like, I see you. Mm-hmm. But the person that you spend the most amount of time with in your life is you. Mm-hmm. And their opinion matters, should matter the most above everybody. Because ultimately, like, you're the only one that you're going to end up with. Mm-hmm. So, like, Matt, you're a fucking badass. <laughs> Good for you. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I hope you tell yourself that all the time, both of you. And you listening to friends. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, um, I can't believe in two episodes, two different shows, I'm talking about the same event. Um, last week on the episode of Transmissions from the Dark Side that we did, they were in a process group. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that is pretty weird. And the the process group, if you've never done process work before, I don't know if you have, um, is very much around the idea of moving out of that place of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, the The program that I went to was called Taking It Lightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you, you know... I forget what it is, but it's like, oh God, it's that is that corny thing about like, how can angels fly so high? It's because they take <laughs> it lightly or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, but it's based off of that, and they have this other thing about like, uh, all the people who attend are starfish. You know, it's that story about the guy who's on the on the ocean when the tide is rolled out, and he's throwing starfish back into the ocean on a beach that's littered with starfish. And a guy goes, hey, you're never going to get them all. What's it matter? And the guy goes, well, it matters to this um, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it throws it back in the ocean. And and that is kind of one of the main tenets of this thing. So jokes on him, though. Starfish are mean. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, clams. (laughs) The the idea with taking it lightly is that you have made a decision. The reason that brought you there is because you have made a decision somewhere in your life that doesn't work for you anymore. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because it's a, it's a sign to, and it's usually when you're young, you make these decisions. Safety mm-hmm. and the fear protects because it had to. You made the decision for a good reason. You made the decision because it kept you safe. Yes. And safety is paramount, especially when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I have to feel safe. So if that's when somebody gets aggressive and mean, I shut down and disappear because I don't add fuel to the fire. That might not serve me well in my later life when I can't stand up for myself in any confrontation because confrontation makes me wilt away and disappear uh, because of what was going on. So they take you to that moment where you made that decision. So if they're like, hey, this is, you know, when did you first start thinking about that? Mm -hmm. And like they walk you through it. So that wasn't mine that I was mentioning, but those types of things are are part of my life. And they would be like, when did that first start? I would be like, I remember being, um, then this is true. I remember being a kid upstairs on the second floor in the bathroom and it was two floor house. It had a basement, but our home in Marseille in Detroit. And I just remember my dad screaming at my brother for like hours, just laying into him. And I'm maybe four or five. Just and my brother's three years older than me, so he's like eight. It's like Jesus there isn't Christ. What the fuck did Dougie do that he was getting nothing? No, nothing. It was Tuesday. And my dad is just, well. I know. I know that Dougie didn't actually do what I'm. Right. What I was really more saying is, what the fuck is your dad yelling at an eight year old like that for? Right. Well, he should be a man. I mean, I think we all know this, right? <laughs> yeah. You mean your dad should be a man? <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> zing, take that. Um, so, like in those moments, I would make the decision of like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to never have that happen to me, which means 
I'm going to kowtow. I'm going to wilt. I'm going to step back. I'm not going to be aggressive. I'm not going to do anything that's going to put me in that line. So they'll create a scenario, a process that puts adult you in that same scenario so that you can make a different choice. Yes. So you can see something different can happen. And because it's they like you give trigger words or things that you heard or things that happened at that time, that's all happening. It's all therapists there. It's all in a very, very controlled and safe environment. Like they work up to this. This isn't Mm -hmm. just like, and here we are processing your deepest and darkest emotional fears. Uh, They do work up to it. And you come through it. So sometimes it's like, like, what did that really make you feel? Like I wasn't safe and I couldn't be with my brother. Like I couldn't protect my brother. So then like, they might be like, okay, well, at the end, we're going to reunite you with your brother. Like that might be something that they would do at the end. So someone would be play acting as your brother. But when you're in it, when you're doing that work, like that's my brother. brother. Yeah. This is real. This is my house. This is that thing because you go there right. because of the motions, because of the words that are you're you have it emotionally locked up inside yeah. of you. Like once you can access it, it is and you let it go. Like it was probably top three euphoric moments of my life. Just like just it was like, oh, boy, huge. Just a huge moment. And uh, I encourage I encourage it's called taking it lightly. Um, my therapist friend, uh, Barb David does it, I think still, but I know she does process group often and, uh, she's great. But, uh, that, all of that reminded me of that, but it's like trying to make better decisions that work for the adult me rather than holding on to hard clad decisions I made when I was seven and scared. Yeah. yeah. So... I last in the last week's episode of transmissions when you were talking about that and I had made a couple references to um, the the scene that made you talk about that right uh, looking like therapy for someone who's never been to therapy <laughs> right <laughs> um, so I never it would be you- the guy who wrote what they thought therapy was based yeah. on the explanation I just gave yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I had done something different, um, but it was <laughs> uh, the the therapist was like, "All right, so what we're going to do is she got like a little block of clay out, and we made all these little clay balls, and we put um, a a piece of paper up on the wall." that had all the things that my third grade teacher had done to me on it. And what I was supposed to do was confront the piece of paper and throw the clay balls at the piece of paper. Thing is, (laughs) this was in a doctor's office that had like 10 other therapy sessions going on plus the the psychiatrist who was in charge of the whole facility right across the hall and so she was like okay throw it as hard as you need to and say what you have to say 
and I can throw really, really hard. <laughs> and so I was throwing it, and like when I when it, the first time I threw it, it just went like smack, and the ball kind of flattened and fell on the ground. And I threw the next one, and you know the 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 more that you're doing it, the angrier you're getting, and the more you're you're kind of putting it out there until finally. The um, Dr. Joseph knocks on the door and opens it. And he was like, is everything okay? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, we're just doing the the one thing. And he was like, okay, because everyone else was worried. <laughs> like she, th- <laughs> Dr. Joseph thought like I was killing somebody in this room. And it was like, nope, just working shit out, dude. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we're, we're, uh. <laughs> We're just murdering some animals. Yeah, we're just murdering this clay. Don't worry about it. Um, oh, but God. yeah, just that was my experience with that, and it had to be cut short <laughs> because I was distracting from everybody else's therapy. <laughs> yeah, see, we need to get we need to do that again. <laughs> so we what we tried to do was put it on the floor. <laughs> we tried to put it on the floor, and I would throw it on the ground, but then it would bounce all over the room, and I'd be like. Nah, <laughs> I, I think we're good. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe we'll just try like some cognitive behavioral therapy. See how that goes. <laughs> I really love. I'm sorry. I know that we're trying to wrap. This oh no! Don't worry up, about it. But one of the things that makes me really excited about Matt Noss is that you're a student of your life and you're willing to do like work on things. And I'm really excited about you, Matt Rose, mm-hmm. because you also are a student of your life. It's really exciting to hear about men who take on the practice of therapy and they're comfortable with it because I think a lot of men uh, feel nervous or ashamed that's mm-hmm. from my experience when they start like just so you know like I've been to therapy and it's like yeah man so have I I ain't a psycho <laughs> but I've but talked to a shrink, shrink. yeah and I, I it's interesting that that stigma still exists. I mean, did anyone else see analyze this and feel completely better about it? Um, that was a joke, not very good one, but <laughs> I haven't <laughs> seen analyze. Yeah, I was. That's that's oh what my, my comment was going to be. Was I actually have not seen that? Billy one. Crystal plays a therapist to Robert De Niro. Yep. Who, I know the movie. I just okay. haven't seen it. So you sh- you could have laughed at the fucking joke. Now. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, point. the point is, is that like. As uh, mainstream as therapy seems at this point, there's still like that stigma. And I think people don't see therapy as a tool or a practice in your life that is designed to help you. Right. And some people, they would rather turn into a giraffe than (laughs) play a a scene out of their life with other human beings or... uh, was that a cat? That was no, my, that, was that was my baby. Daughter. <laughs> that is the cutest thing I've ever heard. I literally was like, when did you get a cat? You're not allowed to have one of those. I'm allergic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's super allergic. That's why we don't record at my house. <laughs> oh. I have three cats. So it keeps the ghosts away. It does. Anyway, um, my whole point in saying that is is like get excited and interested in the practice of therapy. And I really liked what you said too, where it's like sometimes you try a type of therapy and whether it's not working for you or it's not working for the people who work in the building Mm -hmm. that you do, like there's other options. So it's not about like, Oh, I tried chocolate ice cream. So all ice cream isn't for me. Like you just have to find what is going to help you the best. That's Mm -hmm. funny. I just had a conversation with when I went to Philadelphia for, 
the podcast conference I went to, and the guy I ended up spending the majority of an evening with is going for his master's degree in psychology, and he's working on narrative therapy. Mm. And narrative therapy, as I understand it, which again, I am not a therapist or any any. So this isn't medical advice, uh, but what I, my understanding is, is you're the author of your life. Yes. So however you tell the story of your life, that's where the things are. Right. Like it isn't go deeper on that. It's tell me the story about this. Right. Mm-hmm. Tell me the story about that. And I, to- I told him the same story I told on your show. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how long were you with your therapist before you got to that point? Um, you have to listen to the Z Haley show with me on yeah. it to, to hear that story. Boom. Done. Come to the <laughs> show. It's really fun. Yeah. Uh, but he, he was like, how long are you with your therapist? And I was like, a while. And he was like, that was a very bold move your therapist did. And I was like, yeah, but it changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more matters after this. <laughs> And everything is going to the beat. And everything is going to the beat. And everything is going to Welcome back to You Matters. We've reached the part of the show where we talk about what we are into this week. Uh, does anybody have something locked and loaded? Making it. What is making it? Making it is a show that I it's I've only seen it on Hulu, so it might be on something else, but it's a Hulu branded show starring um Amy Polar and, and yes. Nick Offerman. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it is an NBC I show. Think, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, NBC. Yeah. And, but it's airing on Hulu because I don't have cable. Me neither. And uh, here's the tea. I love it. I So we live in a weird media culture right now, so you have the opportunity to watch a lot of different things. Oh, and, yeah. And I have a really bad habit of sometimes just be like, you know what? I'm just going to watch Dear Zachary again because it was so much fun the last time. If you don't know what Dear Zachary is. I don't. I double dog dare you to just watch it on mm-hmm. Netflix and then try to deal with your life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a documentary about the horror. It's it's actually it's a beautiful love story and it's incredibly painful to watch. I, I don't know when I'll be in the mood for. It's that. really good. If you ever want to watch it with somebody, watch it with me and I will hold you during the parts that you need to be held. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that being said, uh, 
it's easy to like continue to consume like things like murder mysteries and fucking fantasies. Making it is a fun show about people who are living in their passions, who are willing to work together and really make interesting things. Yes. It's I it's the kind of show that is the same type of show British Bake Off is. Yes. Or the British Baking Show is, where it's like, no, we all just love doing this. And it's not so much about like, I'm gonna burn Haley down to the ground. I hate that part. It's like, oh, you know what? I I'm not good at decoupage, so I guess this is, is my week. <laughs> so I'm like, but it's even like, I, I think what I love about it, it's like, you made something incredible, but someone has to go home. And I want to say this, I am I am waiting for the reality show to just be like, cool. So this is what we're doing. RuPaul, please be listening for the next season of All Stars. <laughs> Here are all these people. I... I live for a reality show that showcases people living in their passion. So like RuPaul's Drag Race, All Stars, uh, Project Runway, even Gordon Ramsay's different shows, Tabitha Coffee's, where it's people who are like just trying to make their passion work for them in some capacity. In shows like RuPaul's Drag Race and Project Runway, they bring together a dozen or so individuals and they're eliminated each week until ultimately there's one winner. And I don't think that needs to happen anymore because what we used to use that was is sort of a storytelling mechanism where like one person would become the villain and one person would become the hero and one person would become the, the, the sweetheart best friend and all that bullshit. And then eventually like we would whittle away and it's like that person deserved to go home. And I don't think that needs to happen anymore. I think that they should have to stay and that you have to see these people work together over the course of the amount of the time the show goes on. And they're just, they get a report card. Like their scores, their secret scores. Everyone has a crap week. That's going to happen. Everyone has a great week. That's going to happen. And then at the end of the series, it sort of revealed how they scored in these different categories. And that's how the winner is announced. Because the reality is, in all reality shows throughout time, you don't have to win the show to get the prize. Mm-hmm. Right. The in prize... fact, sometimes it's better not to win the show. Yeah. Because yeah. the prize often is who you are. And as long as you show up and be yourself and you're kind to others, like you'll always have a prize. Oh, did you mean something else like money? No. <laughs> like a successful no, like a, career? Like, a, a, like lot of people, a lot of people who did not win American Idol went on to have bigger careers than the person right, who right. did. Like yeah. Daughtry, I think about that band, like the lead singer. Yeah, of that. he didn't win, no. right? But he's a bigger success yeah. because he didn't have to sign on to their exclusivity deal. Even Courtney Act, who was the first openly gay person and drag queen to perform in Australian American Australian Idol, uh, she went on to be on RuPaul's Drag Race and did very well. And she has ac- subsequently been on Big Brother and won. That the mo- uh, the second most recent season of that, <laughs> I don't want to say that my life centers around Drag Race a lot, but, but it does. Well, you, well you've we said here's the tea <laughs> multiple times, <laughs> yeah, multiple times today. So luckily, we speak a little Drag Race around these parts. Yay! You can't be around Jen Hansen, Hansen as without, much as we yeah, have. <laughs> there are two things that Jen Hansen will make you watch when you go over her house. Number one, Drag Race. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. 
Number one, the pirates episode of Bar Rescue. Rescue. And then number two is Drag Race or Drag Race All-Stars. <laughs> Jen Hansen, I love you. And you're a good person. Because that episode of Bar Rescue <laughs> is not is the best. We, we were doing an episode of Transmissions that just devolved into us talking about that episode for like half an hour can i just throw out there uh the first time i watched bar rescue when i worked at my one of my previous jobs i worked for the center for michigan and i would travel travel across the state and facilitate town hall style meetings and i went up to the up in the winter time and uh i was staying in all these Mediocre doesn't feel like a kind enough word, but mediocre hotels. Mm -hmm. And the only consistent thing that I had was Bar Rescue. (laughs) So, like, I spent. John Taffer and you are best buds. For two weeks, 24 (laughs) hours a day. It was, I don't even know what channel it was on, but I just called it the Bar Rescue channel. (laughs) And when I would go to hotels and I'd be like, what channel is Bar Rescue channel? And they'd be like, 47. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And I would cuddle up with him. Uh, did you ever see the episode? Did you watch the show? Well, we watched uh, this Pirates episode. Yeah, and that's the, the only Pirates. one that we've yeah, watched. Yeah. There is another episode that you should watch. Is it as good as the Pirate episode? It is good. It's different because the Pirate <laughs> episode is like... It's, Touched. It's special. Yeah, lightning in a it's bottle. It's blessed. <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't have every Emmy that you can win. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like, I feel like Whoopi Goldberg should have showed up and be like, you know what? Here's all of my awards. Here's my EGOT. (laughs) There you go. But uh, there's another episode where uh, he leaves. It's the only episode in Bar Rescue history where he was like, I am going. I can't help you. I can't help you. Oh, Oh, wow. Go ahead. Sorry. No, John Taffer, he's, he's not to be messed with. John Taffer, if I ever get married, he's the only... Efficient ad- you can think of. Only <laughs> identifying heterosexual male who could walk me down the aisle. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Papa Taffer's here. <laughs> Your bar's stupid. You're losing money. You don't know how this works. Who I'm here to make this a money-making machine. <laughs> who wants to come... To a pirate bar. I do. I I do, Papa Taffer. Nobody's on your patio. Your food's lousy. But couldn't you all go for some grog right now? Yeah. Uh, Scurvy dogs. You got it. (laughs) So the show, once again, that we should be watching. RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, but the oh, one making it, making it, making, making it. it. Sorry, I, that was just my default answer. Making it, it's so good. I found myself smiling and like being excited, and it reminded me immediately that like I need to spend more time with my friends. I love that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one show that I rewatch a lot is Freaks and Geeks. <gasps> Do you and know that the creator of that show went to my high school? I know that the creator of the show knows Jen Han- or Jen Hansen knows the creator of the show. Yes. Keep going. So you're from Mount Clements? I am. <laughs> Why'd you look down? <laughs> We've you, had all of this positive sounded, talk and be so the truest self. You said Mount Clements and you might as well have said like <laughs> I did murder those boys. <laughs> Um, that was the most down I have seen you all day. Yeah. Uh, my, I 
Macomb is really painful for me. Okay, I get that. Yeah. I get that. Macomb is really painful for me. I live in Macomb, so I get it. Where do you live? <laughs> I live uh, in Sterling Heights. Like, do you know where all like Warren, the Four Corners? Yeah, the four Troy corners. Warren. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I live basically right. There. Okay, got it. Because um, I grew up on Heinrich and Dunham. Okay. Okay. Shit, I know exactly where. Yeah, I worked at that. Hor- do you want to hear one of the? I'm I'm gonna uh, take this away from you for right now. Um, <laughs> I'm wearing the hat. So I have the conk conk. <laughs> one of the coolest fucking things I ever did. This is a, a hand to RuPaul full of true story. Um, there is a horse stables, Windermere Lanes, I think, Windermere Horse Stables. It's right on Heinrich and Dunham. It's like in the center of these subdivisions. And when I was a kid, my sister got horseback riding lessons because my middle sister wasn't, she ended up getting everything. She'd be like, I want to take violin lessons. And my mom'd be like, okay. And then she'd be like, I want to take swimming lessons. Okay. I want to take horseback riding lessons. Okay. And then I would be like, Mom, I want to take horseback riding lessons. And this is exactly what happened. She was cooking spaghetti. <laughs> and a I. Dog shit. <laughs> all <laughs> over the kitchen. And we never ate again. <laughs> She's cooking the spaghetti. I was in fourth grade. And I walked up to her and I was like, Mom, I want to take uh, horseback riding lessons too. And she took the spoon out of the spaghetti and pointed it at me and said, if you want horseback riding lessons, Haley, you're going to have to figure it out. And went back to making the spaghetti. And here's what's so fucking cool about Haley Campione Zurich in fourth grade. Unfazed. I went and got on my pink mongoose bike and rode it up to the horse stables and said, I would like to speak to the owner of this establishment. And I sat down and I said, my name is Haley Zurich. And I, I don't even know how old I was, but I was, I'm this many old and I want horseback riding lessons and I need to make it happen. <laughs> and they said, okay, you're too small to move hay. So here's what you can do. You can clean stalls and prep horses and until you're and you'll make $2 an hour doing that. And then when you're big enough to move hay, you can move hay for four hours and get a lesson. And I was like, Okay. And so from fourth to eighth grade, three days a week, I would go clean horses and clean out stalls. And uh, when I got big enough to move hay, I'd move hay. And when I started getting the lessons, I didn't like being on top of the horses because like I knew them like in a different way. Like I was used to like walking with them. I didn't like sitting on top of them. It made me uncomfortable. Um, and so I, I stopped wanting lessons and I just wanted the money. And so they gave me like $12 every week. And I felt like the king of amongst men. Thank you for that your time. Please go back to what you were saying. Oh, I don't remember what I was talking about. You were talking about Freaks and Geeks. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But as, as sad as the show makes me on a regular basis, the first episode I cannot watch with out being extremely happy at the end and it's there's there's so many reasons for one it's just such a a great show mm-hmm. and the ending especially where it's the dance and Lindsay's being forced to be there. Um, Sam goes there 
because Cindy Sanders promised him a dance and he is just so focused on this one dance. He just walks right up to her and he was like, Hey, you promised me a dance. Can I have it? And she's like, yeah, sure. Cue the sticks. (laughs) And it's so great because like he's, he's trying to find like the perfect place to dance with her. So he's just kind of walking her all over the floor. And then he was like, all right, okay. Still part, like the slow part of the song. And as soon as they stop to dance, the song hits the fast part and the look of utter panic on his face where he was just like, uh, and then like he tries to laugh it away. Like uh, I, I, I didn't mean to pick this song. And she like Cindy Sanders is like, come on, Sam, this is your song. And then he just fucking barrels through it. And he's like, uh, sure. I got this. And then Lindsay sees Eli, the, um, the kid who broke his arm mm-hmm. earlier in the episode. And just goes over and she's like, you know, cause I don't know how much you remember the episode or not, but kids were, kids were making fun of him, but he didn't realize they were making fun of him. She stood up for him, but didn't phrase it in the right way. Right. And so he got offended and he ran away and slipped and broke his arm. Yeah. Um, but so she goes up to him and she's like, Hey, really sorry, please come dance with me. And so he's like, okay, all right. And it's seeing Lindsay happy for the first time in the episode and seeing how happy she is for her brother. Like it's, it just does. I, I could be in a murderous mood and then I would see that and I'd be like, Matt, (laughs) who hurt you? (laughs) How much time you got? We don't have that much time. (laughs) Would I want to encourage you next time you watch that Mm -hmm. is I hope that you hold your own hand the whole time and you just remember that like you are your own Lindsay. You are your (laughs) own little brother and like you are capable of like dancing away anything that hurts you. You are worthy and enough. Matt Nass. This week I had it. It was locked and loaded in my brain. And now it has well, okay. Uh, I, I can dissipated. I can I can go. Um, Check. So, <laughs> um, um, so started watching Disenchantment. Disenchantment. That's the new Matt Groening uh, animated thing, right? Yeah. Um, <gasps> on Netflix. So yeah. my favorite character in the entire show is Eric Andre as Lucy the Demon. He walks away with the show. Um he's he's great. Uh so far I jeez, I think I just have a couple episodes left. Um I'm enjoying it. It it gets better as it goes on. The first couple episodes, you know, they're establishing stuff. Yeah. But there have been a couple sequences where, you know, laughed out loud. Uh, oh, awesome! Yeah, it it takes and, a lot. And a lot, of, and a lot of that. Well, it doesn't take a lot for me, but but um, <laughs> like I said, Eric Andre pulls it. Oh yeah, he. I I think that he is underappreciated. He's been in a lot of stuff, 
where he's just been awesome, but a lot of people don't really like a lot of people don't look at him and be like, oh, hey, it's Eric Andre. And, well, he, he can be completely unlikable as well. Like, oh, he totally can. Yeah. But he he has been in some stuff where it was just I mean, it's weird to say that he rocked it as like a straight man, but he did. You know, I, I he's great in the show. Also, I watched two movies this weekend. What movies? Uh, well, I'll tell you. Uh, and so I was making tomato soup. All right. And I didn't calculate how much time it would take for the soup to reduce because I put like 20 tomatoes in this fucking thing. And it like I taste I tasted it and it was like, oh, this is tomato water. Awesome. So I just set it on simmer and I watched two movies. So it took three hours for the soup to reduce to the point where it tasted like soup. Um, I watched Murder Party. And I watched Hell House LLC, Murder Party. Um, <laughs> this this kind of like this doofus is walking home uh, on Halloween, and he steps on an invitation to a murder party. He doesn't. He just thinks it's going to be a Halloween party, and he's like, "Oh, okay, cool." Um, and so it's got the address. He goes to the address. <laughs> he makes himself. Uh, this like night costume out of um like a refrigerator box like you know he 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 makes this night out of like cardboard and stuff and like makes himself a sword and stuff um and he makes pumpkin bread and like brings it with him uh but goes to like this dead area um on the river in in New York City um and he's looking around for it and it gets to this one like it's it's kind of a funny movie uh and it gets to this one part where he just like looks and there's a bunch of like street lights out and he stops and he looks and he's got the pumpkin bread and he's got the fake sword and then it just cuts to him running in a panic <laughs> through this dark spot um but he gets to the party and it was these people inviting people to murder them on camera as part of like a, an art installation um, so they could get a grant. Uh, it's it's to weird. die for. Oh, there she is. <laughs> there she is. She's uh, waiting to say that. So, so it's him trying to escape these people and the people basically ending up being so incompetent, they kill each other instead of him. Nice. It's like um, uh, Chuck and, and Dave versus Evil. Uh oh, God, what? That's not Chuck. It's Chuck and Dale versus Evil. It's something in Dale. I don't think it's Chuck, but I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you ever see a Perfect Host? Oh, the one with uh, David Hyde Pierce. Yes. Ooh, I, I, I have decadent Matt Norris. Decadent. It's decadent. It's like a rich German chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. It's Murder okay. party. Murder party. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I just watched another movie that the director had made, and that's why I was like, oh, I should go back and watch Murder Party, because I knew that he had done it, and I had seen it come up on Shutter a million times. And it was like, I you know no no and I'm always 
wary when I'm flipping through Shutter and I see the like, you know, the the branches around something that indicate like, hey, this played at a film festival. Right. Um, when I see it, sometimes I'm like, eh, what film festivals? <laughs> and sometimes uh, but, in there it this, just this, says this, farts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this this had a couple of them, and like when I when I started watching it, I was like, oh, okay, it probably it probably did actually play at festivals, and it probably did okay. Um, Hell House LLC started pretty strong, but then fell into the traps that found footage movies typically do. Um, I liked it because. I liked it in the beginning because they were actually cutting in like um, it had, oh, the detective that was investing in the case. It had in a couple investigative reporters talking about the things that they found. It had this and that. And then it had the news crew and then it had the found footage from the people that had been in it. And there were actually a couple spots where I went, ah! Ah. where I'm a pretty seasoned horror person. I was just sitting there while my soup was going. I was not expecting, and they weren't jump scares either. They were like, something is there, and then you realize what it is, and you're like, <laughs> so yeah, that happened a couple times where it was like, uh, I, I'm going to go check out my soup now. <laughs> <laughs> soup time. Um, but also the... Um, it, like I said, it fell into the trappings that found footage movies typically do, where it'll be like, oh, hey, something scary is about to happen. Pixel, 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 scary thing. Pixel, pixel, pixel. They're on the ground dead. Like, oh, that's well, that's lazy, guys. That's lazy. That is the end of Blair Witch. That is. Uh, no, this, this is far worse. I'll, I will have to show you some found footage movies for you to be like, oh, that's what you're talking about. That's terrible. Well, Cloverfield does that too. Cloverfield, yes. Okay, you did back that very the fuck much. off from Cloverfield. I'm, that is perfect I, movie. I, I like Cloverfield, but that movie really started a lot of the bad techniques that other filmmakers started using. Um, it gets used way too much right. in VHS and VHS 2. There's there's a lot of found footage movies where they're just like, well, this is just what you do to scare people. And it's like, no, you're missing the point. Right. Well, it's kind of like how people emulate, because I think Cloverfield emulated a lot of what we learned worked from films like Poltergeist and Jaws, <laughs> where like less monster, more tension. Tension, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's, I, I think that that is a positive for the movie. Agreed. The thing, Things that I don't like are when they use the limitations of digital cameras as a cover for not being able to do something. No, no, no. I totally get yeah. that. I'm just saying that like it, those were smart workarounds. Like Jaws, that was a smart workaround. Oh, yeah. Because Bruce wasn't working. Right. Yeah. And with Poltergeist, I think it was a smart like... It's actually scarier when you're not looking at essentially like a Muppet, mm -hmm. you know, like it's actually scarier when it's just sound foot, uh, footsteps and uh, yeah, like you just be smarter. Like you're smart enough to think of something else. Mm -hmm. Especially now. Yeah. Yeah. Because like there's the, the one scene that made me jump. OK, so what they what they do is they're a traveling tour of people who set up haunts once a year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
so this one particular year, they're going to um, a place about an hour outside of New York City uh, where it was a hotel that was shut down. And so they, I don't know, lease the hotel for the month of October or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they get it for two months. Um, they set up in September and then they debut in October. And so they're preparing the hotel and things start to get weirder and weirder as they're doing it. Now, there are, I think, maybe halfway through the movie, my internal, no, I would have just left, right. kicks in. And it's like, come on, dudes. Um, so there's suppo- the reason why the found footage is even there is because these people are supposed to be documenting, d- documenting the stuff they're doing for the next year. To say, okay, this is how I did this. So when new people come on, they can say, all right, so this is how we set up these cameras. It worked or it didn't work. And let's review some of the footage to say, mm-hmm. this is why it worked or didn't work. That's their device for us. the conceit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the one guy that's documenting most of the stuff, <laughs> he wakes up in the middle of the night and... Like he hits the the camera, so the light comes on, and he's still fumbling for it. And you can see someone is sitting against the wall, and he like you can see it. He can't, and so he's fumbling around for it because he heard and he keeps hearing noises throughout the night, mm-hmm. and so that's why he turns the camera on, um, because he doesn't have a, a flashlight, I guess. And so he turns it on, and he flashes it around the room, and he sees the person sitting up against the wall, and. She turns and she looks at him and it was like <gasps> because there's like dummies all over the place that they're getting ready to put throughout the um the hotel. <laughs> and he pulls the covers up over him and he was just like oh, what what the fuck was that? And then like he starts to calm down and he's like all right maybe like maybe it wasn't anything and he pulls the covers back and she's she's basically like just looking right at him and i just went like ha ah! yeah <laughs> because like i knew it was there i knew she was going to be right there but it just there was something about it just well, freaked me out yeah and immediately i think about like that is every 4 year old security system Oh, good luck, yeah good luck monsters getting me i'm underneath seven blankets and two sheets yeah it reminds me of the there was a far side cartoon um, it was a product called the Monster Snorkel, where the kid has his covers pulled up over, but he's got a snorkel that's poking out yes. over, and you can see him hiding under the blankets, safe, while all the other monsters are like outside, just walking around. Like, <laughs> oh, can't get that kid. <sighs> what are you into, man? Grilling. <gasps> uh, like I, people on the street. No. You becoming a beat cop, sir? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me what you where you were yesterday. Uh, no, uh, I have a big green egg. We've talked about it on the show in the past, but it is a ceramic ka- Komodo style grill. It looks like an egg. Uh, and Thank you for clarifying because I thought you were like grilling eggs, and I was like, that's not how that works. No, well, you can grill eggs. I don't know how good or bad they turn out. Matt well, Rose, why are you making that face? Because we haven't made pizzas in a long time. He's that upset is, about that it. Why? Um, but <laughs> it is seasoned very well now. I've had it for three seasons and, uh, we've grilled, uh, 
a lot of zucchini on it, Ooh. a lot of uh, bell pepper, and it is great. We love it. So that's what I'm into this week. I just made uh, steaks for my birthday. We made Delmonico's, and they came out. Mwah! If you enjoy steaks. We have reached the end of the show. Haley, thank you so thank you. much for being here. Uh, if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do it? Well, friends, you can find me at Haley. That's Z-H-A-I-L-E-Y on Instagram, Twitter, and also on my website, zhaley.com. Uh, the Z Haley Show, all the episodes are there. You can also find them anywhere that you uh, download your podcasts. Bonus, if you go to the events page, you can see a calendar of all of my yoga classes, all of my shows that are coming up, and there's a connect with me page. So if you want to send me a message and you want to be my new friend, hit me up. Love you very much. Hit her up. Maddie. I am at Karate Dracula on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, you changed it. No, no. Instagram's always been the same. Facebook is different. Okay. Yeah, Facebook. Yeah, I, I, I typically don't get Facebook out. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I am at Matt Noss on Twitter, Matt Noss 77 on Instagram because I didn't nail that. We are at Matters Pod on uh, Facebook <laughs> and Twitter. And you can put www.matterspod to get directly to our website so that you can subscribe to our show any way you see fit. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Haley. Thank you for letting me matter. Yeah, you matter <laughs> all day long. And we will see you on the next episode of Matters. Yay! The Strain. <laughs> That's a thing we do. It was a good try. It was a solid try. try.